Welcome, everybody, to the Chesterfield Counseling Associates podcast series. We call ourselves CCA, and we are in a community of counselors, coaches, and advisors who are very passionate about providing you with relevant and relatable content on all matters of mental health and some other matters beyond that, too. My name is Sonia, and I am a professional coach here, and I get to be your official host. In each of these podcasts, we will speak with experts about a particular mental health topic and find out what they know, but mostly we will be asking them how their experience can be useful to you, our listeners. In other words, we want this show to be practical as well as informative. In today's episode, I get to speak with my friend and colleague, Christy Cabellas. Christy is going to tell us a little bit about the disease of OCD, but she's also going to share as someone who struggles with it herself. Whether you know anything about this topic or whether you struggle yourself, I would highly encourage you to listen in. You're going to hear some very raw and honest information, and you're going to hear what it's like for someone who struggles. I hope that this is something that you will find useful and that you might even think about passing on to someone else. Well, hello, everyone. As I mentioned earlier, I am here in the studio with uh, my colleague, and I call her my friend, too. Uh, Christy Cabillas. And Christy is a therapist here at CCA. And we're going to be talking today about a topic that I am still learning a lot about and one that she, we would call her a resident expert uh, in this particular topic, and that is OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And I'm going to ask her first just to introduce herself. Um, Christy, tell us a little bit about you and maybe how you got to be a therapist or what was it uh, that led you down that path? And then I want to ask you a little bit more about OCD because I'm fairly confident that it's both misunderstood and sometimes that people think they know what it is and sort of use the term OCD a little bit, maybe even flippantly. And I'd like for us to really um, kind of dig a little bit deeper today to understand what it is. So tell us what we need to know about Christy. Well, I have been in practice since 2014, and I'm what's called a lived experienced OCD specialist, which means that I've gone down this road myself. And um, I'm passionate about treating this particular disorder because I know for myself, um, it took me 17 years before I was diagnosed with OCD and actually put a label on it. And that happened actually for myself when I was in grad school and realized, oh my goodness, I have OCD. Um, and although my, the therapists that I'd seen in the past were very compassionate and, um, you know, really great people, they just didn't, they didn't label it. They didn't see it. It got past them. And, um, my situation wasn't much different than most of my clients, um, the, a lot of the clients that come see me, they've suffered for a long time. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh my goodness, um, this is why therapy is not working. So that's why I've gone into that particular yeah. um, line of work. And, and I'm so grateful that you say that up front because my guess is, I don't have the statistics on this, but most of us who are in the mental health uh, practice, if we're you know coaches and counselors, We've had our own experiences with mental health issues. Um, sometimes, you know, it's something that we kind of grew up with. And sometimes it's just the things that our clients go through. And I tend to think it makes us a, a little bit more empathetic and a little bit more able to help when we've had those experiences ourselves. So I'm, I'm really grateful that you share that. Thank you. And we'll talk in just a second a little bit more about what that's like. 
Um, but but first, maybe you could clarify for us. So I've heard people say things like, oh, I have to have things lined up in my sock drawer a certain way. That's just my OCD kicking in. Or and, and you're grinning because or or not. Um, but but there's kind of a grimace when we hear people misuse a term and you know, it happens. But there are people who really struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder and it has nothing to do with how you line your socks up, or maybe it does. So would you give us a little bit of an understanding of what OCD actually is uh, and what it's not particularly? Okay. Yes. Uh, um, OCD is not a joke. First off, the whole obsessive Christmas disorder um, or people making jokes about it, it's its not funny. It's its, it's horrible. It's, um, it's traumatizing. Um, it's the most fearful and anxiety-producing disorder. Well, of course, I'm going to say that because I've experienced it. But it's it, it, it feels like horror. Your life is in um, the middle of a horror movie. So what it is is OCD is what we call a neuropsychobiological disorder, which means that it involves the brain, the body, and the way you think. Um, and it consists of what we call obsessions and compulsions. Um, and so what that looks like is that, and I'll take the stereotypical, I like things all in a certain way. Um, it's not just like you like things in a certain way. It's that your life stops. You get stuck. If, and there's a lot of sometimes magical thinking with it. If I do not have all the books lined up on the bookshelf exactly right, then something terrible is going to happen. Sometimes they may know, have an idea of what the OCD is telling them is going to happen. Sometimes they don't, but they just are like, oh my God, someone's going to die and it's going to be all my fault. Or um, I'd heard one time of someone who was afraid that if I plug in my my lamps into my wall or the vacuum cleaner, then some child over in Africa is going to be suffering. And so there's this magical kind of connection with it. And we see a lot of that with teens and children who get obsessed about something. If I don't do this, um, then this awful thing's going to happen. And so that's that's like one type, but there's other ones that um, typically will attack what's most important to you. And so like for me, mine was my faith. And so if, and I, I like to use this example, if I speed on the highway, meaning going 61 in a 60, then I will be deliberately sinning and God will damn me to hell because I continue to go 61 in a 60. And so then you aim for perfectionism. So there is a lot of hyper attunement that takes place to imperfections. And that's across all types of OCD. Um, There's so many flavors of it. It's like Mm. harm OCD. So someone could be in their kitchen and they see the knives sitting there and they think, what if I lose control and stab my family? Um, And there's all this faulty thinking behind it. And what they're looking for is absolute ironclad 
100% certainty that they cannot, will not, would not do that. And without that, it feels like there's an actual possibility that you could stab your family, that you could lose control and stab your family. So it's like taking the, um, is it possible that I could lose control, lose my mind and stab my family? Yes. But is it plausible? No. And so the fact that it's just possible, right? Or someone would say, what if, what if I don't exist? So Sandy, do you exist? I exist. Yes. How do you know? I I don't know any other way other than the fact that I believe I exist. Okay. So you don't know. And in the mind of someone who has OCD, existential OCD, they would start to go searching, how do I prove to myself that I exist? What if I'm trapped in a mental institution somewhere else and everything around me is a figment of my imagination? So no, it's not that you just like things neat and in order. Mm -hmm. And for those of us who have suffered with it and who treat it, Kind of makes you mad. Yeah, I, I believe <laughs> the ignorance it. makes me angry, yeah, yeah. but it's ignorance. So, well, and as someone who struggles with anxiety and panic, um, who gets told, "Well, just calm down and stop and stop worrying." And the Bible tells you not to worry. And why, you know, it, it's that sense of this is we're, we're not talking about a choice here. And I and I want to come back and emphasize that because OCD isn't a choice. No, nobody in their right mind, from what you, you're telling me, whatever, choose to be that way. This is a disorder of the brain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about treatment, but it's it's not something that you can just, you know, wish away or someone can throw a verse at you or or a pep talk at you. This is real. And there are people who are affected by this, and and that's why we call it a disorder of the brain. Right. And this isn't something that, you know, people catch or anything like that. This is something that you're born with the biological predisposition to, and it is impacted by the life experiences that you have. And so... Especially, it's especially nefarious when there's that crossover between OCD and trauma because the OCD will grab onto the trauma and will just um, torment you all the more um, because it's like you're, you're doubly destroyed from yeah. both of those things happening. So let me just repeat that because I think that's really, really important. It's not something, it's not a disease that you catch from someone. So if you're around someone, obviously, but I just want to say that for the record, if you're around someone who has OCD, that you, you don't just get those behaviors, but it is typically or always something that someone is born with mm-hmm. and it can manifest itself depending on life experiences. And so if there is trauma, what what would typically happen if someone has trauma in their life? Um, that, would that exasperate the OCD, make it, you know, I'm going to call it quote, unquote worse, or how, how does trauma kind of interact with OCD? Well, it what it does is, especially when there's, um, you know, early childhood trauma or trauma that's taken place from um, the caregiver that's supposed to be taking care of them, there's already that sense of, not being grounded, Mm -hmm. 
there's already that sense of all of those um, internalized messages from all of the abuse that was suffered. And then OCD grabs hold of that and makes you uncertain about everything. And so if, and there are people that get OCD that don't have um, early childhood trauma. Uh, Sometimes it's just neurobiological and A lot of times I find that those are the people that kind of develop this magical thinking sort of thing. But what OCD does is it grabs hold of the things that are very important to you, and it causes you to doubt um, what you know about those things. It causes you to doubt whether or not, you know, you're a good enough person, um, it causes you to aim for perfection in everything that you do, causes a lot of avoidance. So all of those protective things that people who have been traumatized do get exacerbated because the OCD is also demanding that. Got so it, it conf- confounds the issues. Okay. And, you know, we'll do another podcast or, or we've done something in the past where we actually talk about trauma. But just to kind of clarify, trauma doesn't have to be like PTSD, you're coming home from a war. We know now that trauma can be, you know, I've heard one therapist say it's anything where you feel completely overwhelmed, where you don't feel capable uh, or don't know how to respond to something. And that can start before you're born. And that can happen to you, you know, when you're a a full grown adult, Um, Mm -hmm. there are big T traumas, and there are little T traumas. And so, you know, so What's important for our conversation is that trauma can definitely affect the the level of gravity or the the symptoms of the OCD. The severity. The severity. Of right. It. Okay. So I I would love to know, um, and I think our listeners um, would probably be interested in too. It, what is it like? So from the inside, we might you know we might have some idea of what it looks like from the outside. Do you have as someone who um, has OCD or, or has that experience, do you have episodes where things are a little more difficult? Does it come and go? Is it part of your life every day? Can you just share, if you would, a little bit about what it's like um, to to be from, from the inside out? Sure. Um, OCD can go quiet into the background for quite some time, and then it can flare up. Um, and in a flare, what happens is typically you'll get triggered by something, um, could be anything, and that trigger will come and then you'll start to experience anxiety. And that anxiety, that bodily response feels like uh, your stomach's dropping, your throat's closing, you're sweating, you're shaking, um, you lose weight. You can't eat. Your throat closes. I mean, it's just like someone has a gun to your head. And the obsession, the thought that, so the trigger produces the obsession, the idea of, let's say, um, what if I had an affair and I forgot? And there's a lot of faulty reasoning. So faulty reasoning, number one, could be, well, I forgot that a bird pooped on me when I was at the zoo and my sister talked about it the other day. So if I forgot that, what if I forgot that I had an affair, right? That sounds insane. That sounds absolutely insane. And so a lot of times people do get misdiagnosed as psychotic. 
um, and it's very paranoid feeling. You're you're trying to. It's like you can't trust your own memory, your own experiences, and so what'll happen is you have this doubt, and it is called the doubting disease. You have this doubt, and then you're trying to go and cl- and clear up the doubt. So you start to compulse. And so in that sort of case, you might go on the internet and research, you know, um, how uh, amnesia, forget, you know, um, is it possible to have an affair and forget, you know, or asking a friend or just going through this stuff. And what happens is as you compulse, um, you get to a place where the anxiety stops because you feel like, oh, I got the answer. I got certainty. But it just comes back. And then the panic will start again because the brain is very fast and it'll start to look for the next reason as to why that wasn't true. And it'll just spin through that cycle of um, anxiety, compulsion, relief, anxiety, compulsion, relief, or should I say um, obsession, compulsion, release, relief. And each time you do it, it's like a self, um, reinforcing loop. And it, what it causes is it causes neurobiological spreading of that activity. And they've shown PET scans of people that have had OCD and the whole frontal lobe is just lit up. I mean, your, your mind is going so fast. Um, and it's it's horrifying, uh, the thoughts that come through the mind at that time. Um, just on a side note, too, it, it's been really interesting. I've had a couple of times where um, I've experienced it spinning out, and I was on the healing side of it. And all of a sudden, um, all this rush of creativity and ability to write and to paint and to... So I've had the other side of it too, kind of this beautiful um, influx of your brain just working differently, but it's going very, very fast. And so we're not, we can't live like that. You'll burn out. Yeah. So, so before you um, got treatment, before it was properly diagnosed, would these episodes last for a few hours or h- how long um, could you be in, in a cycle like that? Well, yeah, the first time it happened, I was pretty tormented for a year. Wow. So for you a live year, with that heightened anxiety. Heightened state, you know, weighed about 102. I mean, it was wow. horrible. And no amount of Socratic questioning mm. and, you know, talk therapy was going to help that. Um Fortunately, if you get a high enough dose of SSRIs, then that will calm the biological reactivity. And so after I'd gotten a high enough dose for a long enough time, which was about a year, um, because nothing was working, then it's just the medicine kind of slowed it down. But the doubts were still there. I just wasn't having the panic. 
So they're always in the back of the mind. And for the listener and SSRI, which are often antidepressants that we would call them today, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, um, can, you know, benefit people in different ways. Um, And I I didn't realize that it's something that can help also with OCD. Well, you need a higher dose too. Got it. And that's the problem with misdiagnosis is you could give someone, say, 20 milligrams of... um, fluoxetine for anxiety or depression, but it takes at least 60 to 80 of that same drug to touch the OCD. Mm -hmm. And so people suffer longer than they need to. And plus treatment is so very different for OCD. So the fact that it keeps sliding under the radar for people and um, for clinicians, what I would tell them, if, if you're dealing with a client that it seems like nothing is working Stop beating that dead horse. It's probably OCD. Wow. Which speaks to the importance of finding someone who actually understands and knows how to treat OCD. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, right. you know, that sense of exasperation could probably right. just continue to grow. Because these thoughts are the, – the client knows that these are irrational thoughts, you know. They, they know that there's no way they're going to have an affair and forget. It's not possible. But what if – They know they exist, but what if they don't? And so um, I remember Jonathan Grayson saying something like, people who think that they're absolutely certain about about anything are actually stupid, which it's kind of insulting. But no, really, we cannot be absolutely 100% ironclad certain about anything because what if our senses are lying to us? And you say that to most people, and it's kind of like, Okay, yeah, that's kind of weird, but whatever. You say that to someone with OCD, and and they're off, you know. But um, when you're not in a flare, you can have a thought like that, and it doesn't have that same attachment to it, that feeling, that spinning. Yeah. So it, it does go into quieter modes. Yeah. And I, I love the way you just described that because I think that's true of, of many mental illnesses is we have – a, a rational part of our brain. We have a prefrontal cortex and we can think logically about a lot of things, mm-hmm. but there are other parts of our brain that don't respond to that in, right. in certain situations or with certain diseases or disorders. And so trying to bring those two things together. Right. Um, so, so that kind of leads me to my next question and that is, okay, so if someone feels like this is probably OCD and they, they find a therapist or a specialist what can be done? What are some mm-hmm. treatment modalities or what are some things that people can do? Does it ever go away? Is it more that it's it's something you learn to manage? What, what would you say to someone um, in terms of treatment? Yeah, OCD, unfortunately, barring a, an act of God, um, is a lifelong disorder. And it gets louder and it gets quieter. And you learn how to live with it. You learn what to do when it flares Staying on your medication is a good idea. Um, At the same time, even if you stay on your medication, um, you can attenuate to it, and that can cause it to flare. Um, Times of stress can cause it to flare, different things like that. So the gold standard treatment for OCD is called exposure and response prevention. And it's done a few different ways. Um, There's imaginal exposure and there's in vivo exposure exposure because obviously 
you cannot go home and stab your family with the knives. You'd have bigger problems than just OCD. Um, and the interesting thing of it is, too, is when there's actual something actually terrible that happens, that will stop all the OCD, and then the brain will just, the energy will go to what's actually real. And then as soon as that goes away, the OCD comes back up and starts harassing you again. Mm -hmm. So so exposure response prevention is a process where you face the feared thing head on and you um, shake and you're anxious and it's the most uncomfortable and horrible um, (laughs) everybody wants to come see me now, um, mm-hmm. treatment that exists. Nobody feels better after coming to an ERP session because what you're doing is you're purposely getting yourself on that OCD loop. So we're going to face the compulsion or the obsession. What if I stab my family? And what I would have them do is they would go into their kitchen and they would stand there with the knives and they would have their toddler in the in the in the seat across the room and they would have to stand there and feel that while having the knives close to them because what a lot of people will do is they'll just get all the knives out or they won't cook when their toddler's around or they won't cook at all so avoidance is one of the ways that they cope so we're we're stopping avoiding we're going to go ahead and sit in the room or uh, another common one is pedophilia OCD. What if I'm? A, what if I really want to be a pedophile? Um, and so their exposure is: you got to go hold your niece, you got to change a diaper, and the whole time it's just like sweating and panicking and oh my gosh, what if I? What if I? What if I? And then what happens is afterwards, after they're done doing the exposure, then we have the mind games that go on of. Well, what if you really are a pedophile and you actually looked at that child inappropriately even after the act? So then you have to grab hold of your mind and you have to say, maybe I, maybe I am a pedophile. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. And you have to sit with uncertainty because, again, the whole crux of OCD is about the intolerance for uncertainty. So I have to live with the same uncertainty as anybody else does as to whether or not I'm a pedophile. So you're basically, you know, exposing them or they're exposing themselves to that worst case scenario. What, what would it feel like if that thing that I'm so afraid of actually was true or actually Mm -hmm. happened? Right. So that they can learn to tolerate what that could be like, or, or what is the purpose of that kind of exposure? The best way that I can explain it is by using like the, the actual cycle Mm -hmm. of, the trigger, which gives you the obsession, the anxiety then that takes place, and then the compulsion. What we want to do is we want to stay in that anxious spot and not compulse. So we're staying, kind of sitting in that sweet spot of having the thought, sitting with the uncertainty, having the, the biological reactivity take place, Kind of like if someone's afraid of heights, right? And the anxiety goes up, 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 up. And you do that time and time and time and time again. And one time you go to do it and the brain just goes, this is stupid. And it, and it stops. So it's, it's the idea of CBT, mm-hmm. but in a different way. So 
um, the idea of CBT, of course, your cognitions, um, your behaviors, and your emotions. And we cannot stop a thought from coming into our brain. Right. And that's what a lot of people right. do. They try to, don't think that, don't think that. Well, you're thinking that. And then, um, but we can change how we interact with the thought. We can say, oh, this is one of those thoughts again. Right. How do I interact with this thought? So that leads us to your behavior. What am I doing because this thought? And the old way of doing it would be, what if I'm a pedophile? The behavior would be research, 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 prove to myself that I'm not a pedophile, pay really a close attention to my body when I'm around children. And, you know, the mind is so amazing because with pedophilia OCD, what a lot of times happens is there's actually a physiological arousal that will take place because the brain is so wired and so hyperactive that it will shoot out that that reactivity, even though there's never been a proclivity. So we have to give up the quest for certainty. And as you do that enough, eventually the emotions will catch up. So the emotions are the one thing we cannot voluntarily change and the body sensations, we cannot stop them. Right. So we have to live with that by getting used to it and purposely engaging with it uh, and, and tolerating it repeatedly. I love the example of the fear of heights because I think that's something that our listeners can understand. You know, when you have whatever it is, Mm -hmm. a fear of something, Mm -hmm. imagine exposing yourself to that fear, putting yourself in there. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's tough. And Mm -hmm. um, as you said earlier, it's, it's, it's not funny. It's not a OCD is not a joke. No. Yeah. And the, the brain too, it's like, there's no, it's like, there's no escaping it because So there's one type of OCD called responsibility OCD, where like, say you're walking into the grocery store and there's broken glass on the ground and you see it and then you're like, I need to clean that up because if someone gets hurt, I saw it, it's going to be my responsibility. Well, what will happen is the brain will start becoming very attuned to stuff like that. And pretty soon you're working for the grocery store for free because you're cleaning up the parking lot. Because if you leave, then you would feel like someone's going to get hurt. It's going to be all my fault. So the brain starts to pick up and it becomes very active, just grabbing any little thing. Um, And that's why people get stuck. They they can't leave their homes or they, you know, um, spend their days cleaning up the highway. You know, it's it's crazy. But you're saying that with proper treatment, Mm -hmm. um, that may not ever go away entirely, but you can learn to manage it when Mm -hmm. you have a flare up. You can attend to it either, you know, by going in to see your therapist right. or learning some tools on your own, depending on how, sure. how long, how you've severe been at it. it is yeah. probably. Okay. And the whole thing, the whole process of ERP, what it does is it, it's exposure therapy and it causes the brain to not respond to the alarms that are going off. Mm-hmm. And eventually by doing that and resisting the compulsion compulsions, the brain slows down. Wow. You know, your brain doesn't need to be operating that hot all the time. Which kind of goes back to what we're learning about the brain and about neuroplasticity and all those fancy words. And that is the brain can learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not necessarily self-talk where we get up and we say, well, that's a dumb thought. It, it takes time and it takes repetition and practice to build mm-hmm. a new habit or to teach your brain something new. 
Absolutely. Anything else that you want to add when it comes to treatment that is helpful? Um, You talked a little bit about medication. You talked about exposure therapy, Mm -hmm. finding somebody reputable. Are there times when someone actually needs to go get treatment at a a treatment facility and do something inpatient? Or do you find that most people would benefit um, from a therapist? I think a... An attuned therapist with a uh, a driven client, absolutely, you know. Um, but you are asking people to do something that they might as well just throw their baby off a bridge. Um, so I guess it, it depends on how, how bad it gets. But I've treated some people that were pretty bad. Um, and once they learn the skills and two, what's powerful is, is knowing what's going on. Absolutely. Understanding that there's actually parts of my brain that there's a filtration device in the brain that's not working. And there's another part of the brain that doesn't allow the thoughts to pass. That's not working. And just the fact of being able to say, oh, I don't need to figure out whether or not I'm a child molester. My brain is having a hiccup. goes a far, far away. Yeah. Wow. So So it sounds like there's hope for sure. Um, I'm sitting across a lovely professional Mm -hmm. woman who has a, from what I gather, a a very full life. um, Mm -hmm. And yet you also, you know, have to be attuned to what's going on in your brain and in your body and Mm -hmm. manage that as as most people would who have any kind of physical or mental um, or relational kind of issue going on. Okay. So let me just ask you this last question. So if someone out there is listening and maybe they kind of struggle a little bit with anxiety, um, but they're wondering, gosh, is it OCD? Do you have any, just a couple of like bullet point, you know, this should cause you maybe to pause or this might be an indicator that um, you want to get some additional help? Anything come to mind? Typically when um, you're finding it attacking things that are very important to you and you're finding that you're having thoughts that are heading towards irrational, like your friends look at you like sideways or something, mm-hmm. um, when you ask the question, what if, and you can't let it go, and then a lot of times, too, it might start with something that seems plausible and seems reasonable, but then it goes down a trail of ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's also a definite feel to it, too. That there's that sense of um, the trigger and then I can't get this out of my head and I can't – I'm having body reactions. And then I go research, 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 and then I have a let up. But then it comes back. That's pretty telltale that yeah. this isn't just anxiety. Because okay. there is this solidness that you get with from the compulsion. There's a sense of completeness. It's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like if if you have OCD and you resist doing the compulsion, it feels like an unscratchable itch. It's like driving you mad mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And so that's another way to kind of tell. Okay. And if someone were to come in and do a consultation with you and they were struggling with anxiety, mm-hmm. you'd be able to help them and treat them as well, right? So you do all kinds of general um, kinds yes. of therapy as well. Okay, so we're going to, in the notes, we're going to maybe put a couple of resources. I'm going to ask Christy to give me a couple of ideas 
Um, for those of you who are interested, we're also going to put her contact information if you want to reach out to her here at Chesterfield Counseling, um, set up a, an appointment with her. Um, I am so, so grateful. I learned so much and I hope we get a chance to talk with you again. I know that there are many, many other, we just kind of skimmed the surface today. Um, but thank you, Christy, also for your vulnerability and your, and your willingness um, to share personally. Um, it gives me hope to know that there are people out there who are willing to do that because it gives all of us a chance to really be real and listen to someone real. So thank you so much. It was great to hang out with you today. It was great for me too. Thank you, Sonia. 